This is the Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast, episode number 37. I'm your host, Brian Eastridge. Welcome to the podcast. Part of the ConcealedCarry.com podcast network, the Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast. We take topics relevant to today's gun owners, and we tackle them from the perspective of everyday concealed carriers and the perspective of on-duty law enforcement officers to give you both angles of discussion. Today... I am joined by retired Lieutenant Colonel Justin Dial. And the topic we're going to talk about is uh, pretty much the five-yard roundup, like uh, the drill, right? Because it is probably one of uh, my personal favorites and a lot of my instructor friends' personal favorites. And I think as an armed citizen, it is a extremely beneficial exercise for you to learn and for, for for you to execute at the range when you're on a practice session. It's five yards, right? Pretty much any indoor range can accommodate it. And I want to talk some about his background and how he developed that because it's really a pretty, uh, how to say, valid exercise. All right, but first let's take, uh, let's take a, a moment here and talk about our new title sponsor, XS Sites. XS Sites. If you're not familiar with XS Sites, they are made in the USA down in Fort Worth, Texas, not far from where my brother Hanny lives. So I'm going to be calling them up when I'm down there at Hanny's uh, place and uh, maybe go see their facility. And uh, they're now the title sponsor for us. So check them out at XSSites.com. If you're not familiar with them, they use GlowDot technology. Think tritium globe like your old standard night sight with photoluminescent paint around it. High contrast, multiple color options available. You got yellow, you got green, orange. Uh, my personal favorite is the F8s. I'm running those on the the Langdon Tactical Elite LTT. The F8 with the orange front sight, and it's got a really small, obscure little tritium vial under the rear notch. And I really like those sights. Follow me on social media. You'll see I uh, I knocked a drill out of the park the other day. Well, actually, I say drill. I was shooting three rounds at 25 yards to get that gun kind of sighted in and see what my ammo was doing. And I'm shooting like two-inch groups at 25 yards. Unbelievably cool, right? They've got three-dot. They've got the wider rear notch. They've got all kinds of different setups. And they are priced competitively to all the other manufacturers, right? They also still offer an option for you guys like me that are J-frame enthusiasts. And you got the old integrated ramp front sight, so they don't have it pinned on the Smith & Wesson front, right? Well, they got a solution to that. They have a sight that you whittle down that front sight like a lot of us used to do, and uh, you glue on a big dot. It's awesome, right? Like, you don't have to twist a barrel out and get a gunsmith to fit it just so you can get a Patridge-style front sight. They're a... Uh, 25-year business, second-generation owned, family of shooters and gun lovers, and my best uh, plug for their company right now, 10 years, no question to ask warranty. How can you beat that? 10 years, you don't like them, send them back. Other sponsors, of course, CCW Safe, legal service membership, the best legal service membership for concealed carriers and LEOs with the most comprehensive coverage by the most experienced team, right? I know all those guys. Matter of fact, if you've heard my dad, he works for him. We had Kyle Sweet on when he was talking about qualified immunity. And uh, 
you know, a lot of good dudes over there. And I'm going to have uh, one Mr. Rob High on here pretty soon. So look forward to that episode. He's He is a gun guy, a defensive tactics guy, and a driving instructor. So awesome dude. CCWsafe.com. They're giving me the opportunity to save you 10% off your membership if you enter code OFFDUTY10 at checkout. Check them out. EDC Belt Company, as always, the foundation belt. Links in the show notes, edcbeltcode.com. Pick yours up there. Uh, reminder, Concealed Carry Podcast giveaway. Links in my show notes. You got to sign up weekly to be eligible. I hadn't received last week's winner yet, but I'm sure it's some pretty cool gear from, from Ready Up or Mountain Man Medical or concealedcarry.com or I don't know, maybe even excess at this point. So we'll see how that goes in the future. Let's bring in our guest, Justin Dial. Justin Dial is the guest today, and thank you for taking some time out to come and be on the podcast with uh, with us here on the ConcealedCarry.com network. I appreciate your time. So tell me a little bit about a little bit about your bio, a little bit about your background. Okay. Well, at first, Brian, thanks for having me on. It's it's a great opportunity, and I, I look forward to you know, talking guns, uh, because I'm a shooter, right? Like that's, that's probably the easiest description. I am a shooter. Yes. I, you know, did a career in the Marine Corps, served in a couple special units, ran a couple of special schoolhouses, which is probably in the training world. You know, one of my, uh, you know, differentiating features is I both instructed in the high end shooting and weapons courses, but also, you know, ran them. So, I uh, was in charge of in one, you know, like 40, 50 instructors in one and like 80 something in another. And so I had to, for survival's sake, go beyond my personal passion for shooting deep into how do I take guys who have great experience and, and maybe great individual skills, but get them to be able to, you know, run the program. And right. and is the program right? Because, uh, you know, in all cases, the program's in a flux, right? Somebody comes in and says, hey, this isn't the way we're doing it downrange. Or, hey, I got a better idea. And you have to be able to roll with it. So, you know, I did, uh, like I said, that's kind of the, the uh, you know, the, the so what of, you know, why am I around the training business? And then, you know, just my own personal stuff of, of shooting. I've probably shot, I think, eight disciplines up at the kind of regional national level, uh, never, never at a level where, you know, you would recognize my name, but, but at a level where I could compete credibly and, you know, kind of hop from one to the next. And for the last couple of years, I've just been just shooting for the the love of it and doing some training on the side. When I think I have something to offer, I, I you know, I do it a few times a year for the right audience. And I still you know, work full time for the government. So yeah, kind of that's the the nutshell. Okay, well, you were talking about Marine Corps programs, and you know, without going too far into the weeds, our mutual bro Ernest Langdon was involved with HRP. Was that were you involved in that? I'm a graduate of it. Okay, uh, but I didn't run that. That's Weapons Training Battalion up at Quantico. Fantastic program. It kind of earned its chops when Ernest was a uh, you know one of the junior guys there. I mean it you know, really became back, you know, that's back in the, you know, guns, um, I want to say pre Thunder Ranch, even, you know, back when there was Chapman Academy gun site and Rogers and, and probably nobody else. And so HRP was fantastic. 
you know, that's where kind of Ernest got his, uh, his start. And, uh, you know, years later I, uh, uh, attended it, but I ran the, I was the opso down at, uh, what's called training company, which is, uh, down on the Virginia border. And that's where the anti-terrorism guys and the special weapons Marines get their skill sets. And then later on, you know, when I went to MARSOC, uh, ran their, their schoolhouse uh, as the OIC of the training branch, where the, 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 the pipeline and all the advanced weapons courses uh, for that. And in both, ca- in both cases, basically took my instructor cadre, those that were interested, and in, in the one case, uh, got really active in IDPA, taking them around, shooting the big matches you were just talking about. Right. You know, Frank Glover's place in Oxford, you know, take uh, take guys down there. And uh, we had a great local club there in uh, the Virginia Beach area. Uh, and you can imagine location. You had multiple SWAT teams, uh, SEALs, us, uh, Blackwater instructors, you know, everybody kind of competing out of that same little club. Uh, that's where Daniel Horner got his start, incidentally, uh, at that club. And and then years later, uh, took instructors, and we were pretty active in local local and uh, some of the big three-gun matches. So trying to you know, squeeze what we could out of the competition world and, and push it back into the programs. That early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s area of the East Coast was just a wash with amazing shooters. You know, I tell people when I moved back, when I ETS from the army in 2002 and moved back here, a master level shooter out here in the, in most of the, you know, competitive disciplines like USPSA or IDPA was lucky to hang with maybe a high a card or expert shooter on the East coast. Just the caliber of shooters was vastly different until we had the advent of like YouTube where people started kind of getting yeah. regimented in their training or, or started seeking out some of these other people. And incidentally, most of them, they either came from the West coast, a la Rob Latham or the East coast, you know, there was the yeah. central America here in the Oklahoma greater area was pretty barren for a long time until maybe the last 10, 15 years. So, so it was cool to be yeah, a part yeah, that of that. Was also, um, it was also an interesting time in the sense that I was counting up the other day, like, you know, how many formal training hours did I have at the point that I thought, okay, you know, I, I've reached a, a rung on the ladder that I cared about. And it was a bunch. And, but I think that today it's, it's significantly less because of YouTube and the quality that's just everywhere where, you know, at that particular time, there was a lot of technical issues, equipment issues that were in transition, mm-hmm. you know, where your people were, of course, the winners were starting to use techniques that look very familiar today. But a lot of the rank and file guys were still shooting, you know, some some older styles and techniques and the equipment wasn't quite up to snuff, et cetera. So, it was, you know, interesting time, like you say. Yeah, that whole magazine restriction period you know we we saw all this innovation with like the 1911 and stuff like that that had kind of been dormant for years and now it comes back and you got half of the crowd shooting weaver and half of the crowd shooting something different and it was a really really unique time i think in the in the lineage of of shooting and training history um and the east coast was kind of the epicenter of it to be honest that that's 
what my take on it was because most of your like you said you know your seals blackwater you know your unit guys from bragg the sif teams from bragg stuff like that those dudes were training at id or coming out to shoot an idpa match just because hey that's that's more trigger time that's something else i can do to hone these crafts but uh how long have you yeah with the go go ahead yeah just kind of tie that one off the um the even in the better units uh, and and i'm sure there were several exceptions but even in the better units training itself was not quite as uh refined as it is today and so in many cases guys were going to really really innovative cutting edge matches like frank glover's and and other guys and they were seeing things that were like okay how do i translate this into a to a formal organizational setting in some way because you know they were seeing things that you just didn't see in a military style and probably a police style you know also you know a formal organizational sense you just didn't see that kind of stuff so guys were really getting ideas and i remember having conversations with you know guys from sf guys from fbi you know like and and really trying to troubleshoot how are you guys taking some of this and, and using it in your programs uh and because i was trying to do the same thing and it's you know that we're much much further along uh currently than you know than that was, than was the case back then yeah when when i jumped into law enforcement everything was ppc related you know kind of the the police version of bullseye and uh yeah that was the core curriculum almost nationwide was based around six shot revolver static range turning target generous time standards revolver neutral that was kind of the core of training and that has evolved and it seems like le in general is pretty late to the party on changing anything with any sense of urgency whereas your military guys post 9-11 all of a sudden got immersed into the battlefield real life urban battlefield and then you know, with Afghanistan being overland battle. So a lot of pressure testing of this stuff that we had had dormant for many years started to kind of resurface. So that was a really interesting time too. But with that, how long has it been since you transitioned into uh, us, the armed, the armed populace world, as opposed to the military world? (laughs) Well, I was, uh, I've never not been one of those guys, uh, you know, so fair <laughs> now full time. Yeah. You know, uh, since before I was old enough to, to legally, uh, yeah, do it. Um, you know, I, I grew up, you know, run around the woods with, a uh, with a single six, um, you know, 22 revolver and, and then statute of limitations is probably up, but I already had some, <laughs> some good experience in concealed carry by the time that, you know, I got my, uh, my actual carry card and, you know, the, the, the day after I turned 21. Um, so I've always carried, but the, uh, let's see, I've, I'm coming up on six years, I think, uh, from active service. Okay. How have you incorporated? Well, I, I don't even guess that's a fair statement since you've been part of the, <laughs> the armed, not uniformed populace for your, basically your entire adult life. Uh, but transitioning out of the military from the schoolhouse format, what kind of takeaways and what kind of differences have you 
had to kind of tailor to maybe cater to the armed populace. And, and an example, we're probably not going to teach an armed citizen how to run a belt fed machine gun. That's probably not in their wheelhouse. Right. Uh, you know, and how to, yeah. how to set up sectors of fire and run it, run off a tripod or, or whatever, or, or shoot even, I guess the precision rifle thing is big now and that, that correlates to some extent, but like what kind of takeaways did you take from that to incorporate into quasi civilian life? Well, I, I always try to be aware that, that, you know, because I've, I've written for the gun magazines for, uh, 12 years or so. Okay. Um, and so, you know, when you're writing something, I, I wrote for years for SWAT, um, and so, you know, the audience of that is, is, as you may be aware, it was, you know, kind of a little bit everybody, you know, mm-hmm. kind of serious concealed carry guys, uh, a lot of LE, you know, some military. And so in that experience, I really had to challenge a lot of my assumptions and a lot of my frames of, okay, this is how I would approach this as a military guy. Um, but does this make sense? for the guy that's going to read this article. And I would have to kind of, you know, really think through that. So it's, I'm, I'm relatively used to peeling things apart and trying to make sure that, um, you know, my, my frame of reference may not be yours. And I, you know, I have what I call five filters that I run things through to make, to try to see, is this a good fit for, for me? And, and, And when I'm teaching, I, you know, tell the students like, Hey, if it, if any of these criteria are not checked, then you would be doing yourself a disservice to just blindly adopt this. You know, you have to run through these things of, you know, what is your mission or your purpose? What is your, your personal equipment? And is it so significantly different than the platform that I'm instructing from mentally that, that, you know, there's a disconnect because sometimes that's the case. And then, you know, your physicality is just that, that your, personal strengths or your, you know, limitations are so different than mine that you can't adopt this technique. Um, and then your skill level and your experience level and, and then the amount of resources that you're willing to commit to this, because as you know, the, uh, there's a huge difference between the guy that guy or gal that that shoots once for familiarization or annually because they have to, and someone who's out there, you know, twice a week. So it's, you know, some things that are entirely appropriate for the one are, are just not for the other. Yeah. And so, I, you know, that's, I always try to run through those and, and really, you know, try to predict where would this be for someone else so that I'm not just blindly, because there's a lot of it. I'm sure you're probably, uh, you know, mildly impatient with it. A lot of guys that are war heroes that have come back and, and, Quite frankly, they're not always pushing appropriate stuff to the mass audience. I kind of, uh, I don't know how to phrase it without not sounded like berating or anything like that. But the world I live in as a as a law enforcement officer is vastly different than the armed citizen, and in a lot of ways, I have an ammo budget every year that a government agency pays for me to shoot. Uh, Joe citizen doesn't have that, you know, he's got to go into his own pocket and decide how much of a lifestyle does he want to make this? That's just one example. Yeah. Um, 
and one of the things I see from, you know, former service members and stuff is a lot of, you know, very carbine heavy stuff, very, uh, technique driven for, uh, vehicle technique, et cetera. And some of that correlates, but some of it, it, it kind of gets lost in translation, uh, which is one of the reasons like your Instagram page constantly fascinates me because I go, wait a minute, this, this dude's a military guy, but he's really driving the, driving the narrative towards like armed citizen. It's not necessarily, you know, counter ambush techniques in a vehicle convoy or, or whatever. And, and some of that, and I don't have a big, big heartache with instructors teaching that kind of stuff. I just, I kind of boil that down and go, I'm not in any risk of being in the NBA, but I still like to go shoot hoops. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm not at any risk yeah. of, of going to some foreign country and being in a vehicle convoy at this particular stage in my life. But that doesn't mean that I'm not intrigued by learning it. So I don't, I don't get as sure. wrapped yeah. around the axle about things like that as, as some instructors in, do, but, um, which kind of brings me into the next thing is you, as far as I know, you developed this drill or this exercise uh, called the five yard roundup, which has been pretty earth shattering across for me, across the law enforcement spectrum, exposing people to that, uh, that performance objective or that performance exercise uh, to really pressure test a bunch of skill sets in a relatively low round count. And I, I gotta be honest and I'm not blowing smoke up your skirt. When I got exposed to it and I heard your name, I was like, I need to find this guy because this is pretty brilliant stuff. And it's 10 rounds. Joe civilian can afford 10 rounds to go assess himself with this exercise. Um, whereas in the law enforcement community, all right, we're going to shoot a 25 round qualification or a 50 round qualification. Joe civilian, that's a box of ammo. That's expensive. Um, so I took a lot of value out of that exercise. So, and I've exposed a ton of law enforcement officers to it. So tell me your, your mindset or your, your, purpose for developing that or how it came to be okay yeah and i appreciate the kind words on it it's it really has kind of struck a nerve with a lot of folks the the five-yard roundup um i've got more drills than walgreens has got pills i mean that's <laughs> that is like it's it really is it's i'm not obsessive about it but i really do enjoy when i watch someone you know, that has whatever they're you know because every guy now has to have signature drill or two right mm -hmm. and and I can't help but try to, you know, break down what's going on behind it. How does it emphasize? Because, you know, like I said, I, I come from a curriculum background of how do we take this skill or this procedure or this piece of knowledge and how do we most efficiently train it uh, for a group of guys? And even though, you know, I served in units where ammo was limitless, time never was. You know, time was always a, you know, crunch. And so... I, one of the things that just hurt me in my heart, it was, you know, pre, or post 9-11. Uh, so ammo was flowing richly. Um, and yeah, at the time I was a, a platoon commander, an anti-terrorism platoon. And one of the sister platoons, they would literally do 15-round build drills on the giant green silhouettes. Right. 
And I would just watch that and it would, it would literally just kind of hurt my heart a little bit because I, I, I just knew they're not getting anything out of that. They're just wasting ammo. In fact, they're it's probably counterproductive. Um, and, and so, you know, I was always, you know, I've been working on it for a long time, trying to figure out what's the best way to get, get my guys where I want them to be across skill sets. And so, you know, back to the, the roundup, um, it actually started out, I don't know, a couple of years ago, there was a Bravo company had the BCM gunfighter magazine kind of special edition. I don't know if you saw it, Oh yeah, but I had a couple of articles in that. And, um, and one of them, I had a couple of drills and one of them was the, the first version of the roundup. And quite frankly, it was, it was too advanced. It was, it was ill suited to most people. And, and I was playing with some training concepts and just to kind of close, you know, kind of uh, tie that off. That was a one and a half second par with max possible hits. And so it's, you know, how many hits can you stack inside of a second and a half? And, and it really was a high end drill for high end guys. And it's, it's really challenging, but it's, it's one of those things. I think I even said it in the article, you shouldn't even attempt it if you're not pretty solid because it's just, it's, it's just too much. Uh, it's pretty awesome if you're, you know, to kind of toggle between the two, mm-hmm. but, and so as I looked at it, I said, okay, how would this, how would this apply to, to everyone? How would I make this apply to everyone? And, and I kind of took the, um, you know, lots of folks have kind of said that three seconds, three yards, three rounds, or, you know, all those permutations of that. Yeah. I think Tom Gibbons has, has said, it, you know, a, a bunch of, and I don't know who to credit with the original research, or I think there's, you know, multiple versions of, of it, Yeah, but everybody kind of gets that like, Hey, this, most fights, there's so many of them on, you know, YouTube now three seconds is a super long time for when the meat of the action takes place. And I said, so how do I, how do I do, you know, be performing inside of that? And I said, okay, two and a half is a good par that, that allows the tempos that I was looking for. And it just kind of worked out. It, you know, it's kind of an instructor hack, but anytime a drill can be 10 rounds to equal a hundred points, is going to be more effective than some random number like 12 or 15 or 18, because, you know, guys have had 12 years of, of programming that 100 is good. 90 is pretty good. You know, 80 is needs improvement or whatever. Yeah. Since you're like five, right. Since you're about five years old, that's the, that's the mindset, right? A hundred. Great. Yeah. So anytime a drill can, can work in that decimal sense of being based in 10 and, you know, uh, tens, and especially when it's got scoring rings, you know, equal to a hundred, because unless you're like a super enthusiast, once you get away from that, what is good? And you have to be like a total gun nerd to know that like on this weird 33 round exercise that, uh, you know, 26 is great. Like, okay, if you say so. But pretty intuitively, people kind of can, if you say, hey, I got a you know, 95 on the, on the roundup, then w- even with no, you know, no <laughs> yeah. social cues, you have a pretty good sense of, of that that's pretty good. Uh, 
so anyway, it, it worked out. Um, and, and I'm glad that folks have found some value in it and in a variety of audiences, because, you know, a real high end guy, um, I don't care who they are. They still have to, uh, they can't sleepwalk through it. No. You know, if they sleepwalk through it, they're either going to drop points or go over time. Uh, more often, a you know, higher end guy is going to uh, drop too many points because he's going too fast and he's not getting what he needs confirmation. Whereas the, you know, the guy that's still uh, maybe, you know, a little earlier in the journey, uh, very often they're struggling to make the time and it's forcing them to work at a tempo that is realistic, but it's outside of their comfort zone. Yeah, I, I got exposed to it a number of times in a number of different classes. And uh, oddly enough, you mentioned Tom Gibbons. I went to the, to the Range Master Tactical Conference in 2019 and we had so many people tied for this shoot off. They said, all right, we've got to have a, we've got to have a tiebreaker to whittle the field down a bit. And I had just been through a, a block with Wayne Dobbs, who uh, Wayne and I, I love Wayne. He's a great dude. Um, and he had plugged your name, plugged this drill. And I'm like, ah, oh, here, here it is again. Like it's just keeps coming back around. And Tom has us all get on the line and he goes, all right, we're shooting five yard roundup. Everybody, you know, two and a half second park go. And, and I, I ended up placing really high and I was like, man, that, that drill or that exercise, I, I, I don't like the word drill, but even as somebody that's a pretty polished shooter, most of the time, I can't follow Like you said, you can't sleepwalk through it. There's no, okay. It's just that again. There is some part of that that will challenge you to your core every single time you shoot it. And the more I looked at that, yeah. I was like, oh, I'm stealing that. So I, I do I do give you credence every time I teach. And I, I use it at times when I get a little. Nice. Thank little, you. Yeah. I'm like, this is the guy. This is the dude that came up with this. And this drill will eat your lunch even when you think you're on your game. So, uh, and there's not a lot of exercises like that. Most of them, we, we shoot them a couple times and we go, okay, I, I, I got it <laughs> moving on. <laughs> so we have to either play with par times or play with round counts or play with distance. That one, five yards will eat your lunch. If you're not paying attention or if you, you know, you fall asleep on a little part of it, you're done. It's just, it just crush. It's soul crushing for people that maybe don't have an unlimited ammo budget it's an exceptional way to identify gaps in your game. I hope I'm not shining you on too much. I feel, <laughs> I feel like I'm going, but I'm dead serious. That is probably of all the industry, what I would call industry standard exercises or drills. That is by far the one that I can take a high level shooter all the way to somebody that, you know, has a little more than a concealed carry class and we can challenge all levels in 10 rounds. So, so kudos on that one. I, I really, I can't say it enough. I really appreciate that somebody came up with that and it happened to be you. And I, I really do appreciate it because it's made a, a resounding impact on a lot of the, uh, cadre that I work with a lot of my peers, a lot of the industry people, and you don't see that often. And the other flip side of that is with it being a handgun drill, you don't see things like that come out of the military circles very often because in my era, the, the, the sidearm was an afterthought. It was just the emergency yeah. parachute, right? 
oh, I pull it and I hope it works, you know, because because plan A didn't go so good. Um, and the military in my era didn't focus on that unless you were in a tier one unit or some type of really specialized unit. It wasn't widespread, and I think it's gotten more so now as we, we, we've advanced in the future here a little bit. Anyway, excellent stuff. I appreciate it. As an armed citizen now, we've, we've waxed on about five-yard roundup and how wonderful it is. And if you don't know, I will post it in the show notes for the listeners. I'll just, if, you don't, if you don't mind, I'll post that exercise in the show oh, notes. Please do. Yeah. yeah. Everybody go try it out. Yeah. Um, what other kind of markers do you use? Let's say somebody's got their their concealed carry permit, and they're wanting to jump into the next level. Maybe they've been to some formal training. You know, a guy like Ernest or yourself. Maybe they've been to something like that. Mm-hmm. What other kind of markers do you use to grade, or not necessarily grade, but but to get a handle on these are your strong points, these are your areas of improvement. Like, are there some other things you use to do that? And if, if so, kind of speak to those. Yeah, you know, it's funny because recently um, I've I've been revisiting over the years. You've seen probably, you know, who knows how many everybody's version of a one box, you know, a 50 round kind of combine. Right. Like, you know, do this, do that, do the other. And quite frankly, I've never seen one that I cared much for and, and not to be ugly. You know, from no. people that, that I greatly, greatly admire. Um I just felt like they were, they kind of phoned it in on this 50 round thing because most of us that are serious don't, we don't train in 50 round increments, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's, you know, in better times, it's hundreds of rounds. Um, But I, you know, I said, I just enjoyed the challenge of like, you know, uh, another guy that, that I respect deeply posted one. I was like, yeah, that's okay. But it's like I said, you know, I can't help but kind of see behind all this stuff and say, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of holes here. And so I've been uh, chipping away and I think I'm close. I think I'm close. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm proving it out. And, uh, but to get to your question, uh, I think that Scott Jedlinski's, you know, uh, three yard, draw three to the body, two to the, two to the head box. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's an excellent, um, you know, kind of because the five yard is all about tempo and control, right? Like it's, it's pretty tight control on a, an aggressive, but deliberate tempo Mm -hmm. where the three and two at three yards, you're close enough where the index becomes much coarser. The fundamentals are take a, to a certain degree, the fundamentals, if your grip is okay, take a backseat to rapid execution because of the proximity. And so that three and two really works some things. Uh, again, draw, you know, three to the body, two to the head box at three yards. Um, I think his black belt is like two seconds or less, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, for, for the average guy, whatever, wherever they're at, they can very quickly start to see like, okay, how would I get down, let's say below three, three seconds uh, with the hits? Uh, Because the hits aren't the hard part in in that particular one. It's, it's, it's the, uh, the rapidity and it's where's, you know, where am I wasting time? How am I wasting time? And so that, um, 
I, I have a uh, drill that I call the par, uh, par five. It was in Swap Magazine. I think it's up at American Cop online now. And it was originally a B8 drill at 20 yards. Um, but I think I actually like it better as a three by five card drill at 10 yards. And it's another from the ready, but it is, it is even more deliberate in terms of helping a shooter understand the linkages between the level of deliberate, um, the deliberate approach to the trigger press and the level of sight refinement. And so you have five seconds, four strings, one shot in five seconds from the ready, which is, I mean, it's easy. It's a gimme, right? And then two shots in five seconds where, okay, now I have to make some time. And then it's three shots. And okay, now I'm working at a tempo where my grip better be, better be good. I better be able to manipulate the trigger cleanly for those three presses. And then the final one is four shots, which quite frankly, eats most people's lunch. You know, they either can't get the, the shots or they can't get the hits. And, but if you look at that, there's four very different, same problem for, but from the shooter, the input that if you watch a shooter shoot it, their whole, like, um, their facial expression, the amount of, of uh, aggression they're putting into the stance, everything changes by degrees mm-hmm. with each one of those strings. And it's very easy for the shooter to then kind of say, okay, where did the wheels fall off and why? And, and you can begin to self critique a little bit with that one. That was the par five. Um, the fast is, is good. Uh, you know, it's, it's a classic as well. You know, Todd greens, uh, uh, I forget the, the acronym, but Fun- the fast test fundamentals of accuracy and speed test. Right. Yes. Um, and so the, the fast lets you work, work some things that I care about. Um, and then, um, after that, I work just the, the draw to the, um, the draw to the, the head, the two headshots draw to the head and then the follow-up to the head to that three by five card. Uh, I work that twice. So that gives you 10 rounds. Um, and so that puts us at 40 rounds. And then, cause I do the three and two twice. So I start off with five yard, that's 10. Then I do par five at 10 yards on the three by five card. Advanced level is half of three by five card. Um, super advanced is from the holster half of three by five card. And so that's uh, 10, 20, three, three and two at three yards twice. That makes 30. Fast makes uh, six. Draw the head with the two to the head from the holster twice. Takes it to 40. And then the final 10 rounds is my 10 second showdown, which is, you know, advanced level drill, but it's, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's, it is, um, it, it should be more, more widely known than it is. It's, it's really, really good. Well, now that we got each other's email address, you can email that one to me and I will torture the adjunct instructor cadre of the greater Metro area with it, with alacrity. Yeah. So <laughs> we're always, you know, informally so to speak between you know training new shooters training experienced shooters uh you know managing relays managing multiple shooters on the firing line when we get downtime it's hey guess who i talked to the other day we're going to do this you got 10 minutes you know and that's how we that's how we hone in our downtime uh or and i say when i say downtime i mean you know 
okay, I ate lunch real fast. Now I'm going to go get 20 rounds in, but I got to maximize yeah. that. And, uh, and it inspires a lot of competition, a lot of friendly competition, which is something that, you know, if you're an armed, if you're an armed citizen and you don't compete in a formal format, I, I recommend like take somebody that's kind of equal skill level or one of your shooting buddies and go post these exercises and have a, you know, Hey, you're buying lunch today. If you, you know, <laughs> if you whiff one on the fast drill or the, the hit super test yeah. or something, because I don't think anything can replicate without bullets coming your direction. I don't think anything can replicate stress and pressure like in for, informal competition, uh, especially when there's uh, a, yeah. you know, uh, some type of informal wager involved, uh, you know, without going to an IDPA match or a USPSA match, something higher oh, round yeah. count. So, well, you know, that's, you bring up a, a really good point because if you look at most of the shooters that, that any of us would consider the greats mm-hmm. at a key point in their development, they had an awesome shooting partner that was close to their skill level. And in many cases above their skill level that pushed them and then, it, then, you know, they hit afterburner and they left that guy in the dust and, you know, hopefully they kept in touch with him. Yeah. But in most cases, in most cases, there's, you know, I certainly had a couple of uh, shooting buddies that were hugely instrumental uh, to my development because it was somebody to share the passion with. And you will, you know, you, I think in many cases, because it's relaxed enough, but there is that kind of social pressure and that camaraderie and that rivalry that you will push yourself in ways that you might shoot it safe at a match or, you know, you just, it's just, it's completely different sets of pressures, but the, I can't stress enough how um, beneficial a good shooting buddy is uh, as you develop. Yeah. Mine, mine went through the Academy with me. Um, And he, he and I to this day, he'll go train with somebody and I'll go train with somebody and, once or twice a year, we end up on the same in-service training regimen of instructors, or or we end up teaching a rifle school together, or something like that. And it's like, hey, bro, I learned this last week. Go grab a B eight. Let's let's beat up on each other over lunch, you know, or something. Yeah. Um, it, one of my dearest friends on earth, and and we still to this day, we constantly do that back and forth. Okay, you got me this week, but next week. I'm going to take it to you, you know, and, and I, I'm with you. I don't think you can, I don't think you can put a value on that. Well, well there's, there's also a level of accountability too, because you know, I'm, I'm yeah. big on deliberate practice and, you know, like the, that whole body of research, but there's a level of, of accountability when a buddy is you're performing in front of a buddy mm-hmm. and, and that quite frankly, a lot of guys don't hold themselves accountable if they're shooting by themselves or if they're shooting in public where no one really sees what you're doing, you know, just at the indoor range or something. Um, There's a level of accountability when you're shooting with a, with a buddy that is completely different than where you just kind of like make excuses or there's no timer or you're, you you know, you're, you claim that you're keeping time in your head or you're making excuses for every, every shot that's not where it's supposed to be. And, uh, and your buddy doesn't, doesn't buy any of those excuses. Right. Right. Generally, I give a guest like a final thought, and I kind of want to direct yours uh, just a bit. And that would be, 
If you could give one piece of advice to the American law enforcement officer and one piece of advice to the American armed citizen, go. Yeah, to uh, to my you know my cop bros, man. I, I know it's tough right now, but <laughs> I'm at the stage of life where I need you guys, right? Like, you know, I'm counting on, I'm counting on there's still being quality guys who are willing to, to serve the community and, and just, just hang in there. Yeah. I, you know, things have got to get better, but the, you know, there's still a giant chunk of the country that respects law enforcement and, and needs needs the function that that you guys provide so uh that would be you know not training related is really more kind of spiritual in the sense that you know like it's it's tough times and and i've got a bunch of buddies you know throughout the different uh agencies departments etc and 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 i i understand the pressures um or i think i do we need we need good guys because i guarantee you i understand a lot of guys are, are going to make decisions and and they can't do it forever and some of the events are going to, you know, push them out perhaps sooner than, than later. But I'm not confident in every case that they're going to be replaced by an equal uh, quality person that's serving for the same reasons. And so that's uh, that's that's a plug for for all of, of uh, you law enforcement folks. And then for the the armed citizen, being an armed citizen is a is a tremendous responsibility. And I encourage everyone to think through that and, and to by all means. Uh, you know, take responsibility for their own safety. Big boy rules is, is to a certain degree, having high standards and holding yourself accountable to meet them. That's what big boy rules really is. And so the minute that you are walking around daily life with a loaded firearm, you know, you are operating on big boy rules in the sense that it's not a lifestyle. It's, it's not a, it's not a sheep dog. It's not any of this other stuff. There are genuinely dramatically high standards that go with that, that so many lives can be ruined the minute that a firearm is introduced in an unskilled way or an unthinking way. And so it's uh, by all means, seek training, take responsibility for your for your own safety and protect your families It's probably you know, it seems that it's going to be more important, you know, now and in, in the coming future than, than perhaps in the, the recent past. So I guess that would be my two. Well, I think those are two solid nuggets of, of, of wisdom. And, and I really appreciate you saying that for all my LEO brothers out there that, uh, but no, I stay the course guys. It'll, it'll even out. And I'm in 100% agreement with you on the armed citizen side. So special thanks to my guest, Justin Dial, Lieutenant Colonel in the Marine Corps. Justin, thank you so much for 20 years of your uh, of your life in service to our country. Uh, and thank you so much for challenging our industry with an exercise that, that can humble all. Uh, and I think the armed citizen and the LEO can get that. And I appreciate your kind words about law enforcement and uh, the good advice you've taken for the uh, armed populace. A reminder, check out our sponsors, XS Sites, CCW Safe, EDC Belt Company. Uh, and if you haven't, get in the show notes and sign up for the Concealed Carry Podcast giveaway. Uh, the link's in the description. Click on that. Go sign up. You got to sign up weekly to be eligible to win some cool gear from Mountain Man, Concealed Carry, Ready Up Gear, all those guys, right? 
The Off-Duty On-Duty Podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.